Well, hello, Grand Rapids. You know, I have to admit, you know, we had some wonderful worship at the Soul Care Weekend, but I noticed that there, the word lion showed up in the lyrics a whole lot, you know? So I didn't know if that was a little subliminal or, or what that was, but uh, we, we had such a wonderful weekend. So good to be with you. We so appreciate the invitation of Pastor Sam and uh, Brenda to be able to be here. And also all the help of, uh, of Tim and John and so many people that helped us with this weekend. You know, Emerge Ministries just completed its 50th year this past year. Amen. Almost 60 years ago, an Assembly of God minister in Akron, Ohio, his wife, right after having their first baby, she had postpartum depression. He took her to a secular counselor. He said, your problem is you need to get rid of your religion. And they said, well, we're not going to do that. And then he took her to some uh, pastoral counselors. The one that she went to said, here's your problem. You need to read your Bible more and pray more. He said, you don't know my wife. She does that more than anyone I know. She was struggling to find the help that she needed, and she had even become suicidal. So depressed, she had attempted suicide three times. Richard Dobbins, Assembly of God pastor, went back, got his GED, got a college degree, and he became the first doctorate of psychology at the University of Akron, an Assembly of God pastor. Isn't that amazing? But you know what he began to do? He was a pioneer. He went church to church and he said to people, it's okay to not be okay and to let people know you're not okay. The worst place to have to pretend is church. So the Lord used him to help people confront truth and until you confront truth, you can't experience grace. And because of it, he began to attract like-minded counselors who began to form this ministry called Emerge. And now we are able to serve ministers, people all over the region. Uh, there are people who come from all over the United States and around the world to experience uh, Emerge and to find rest and to live free. And that's what the Lord wants for us. And how many of you know, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed, completely Free. God wants to bring that freedom that we would have a growing experience. Well, Pastor Sam mentioned that my wife Pamela is here with me, and Pamela serves on our team at Emerge, and we really in many ways serve that ministry together. We, we're a teaming couple in ministry, and we love that. We also have with us here, and I'm going to ask him to stand one by one, Dr. David Blankenship, who's our clinical director And also, Reverend Jason Turville, who's a counselor with Emerge. Recently, also, the Assemblies of God has a National Mental Health Committee. Jason has served on it. He was just appointed as the chairman of that committee for, for the Assemblies of God. And then, someone who's been really enjoyed in some unique ways this weekend in ministry, and that is Natasha Biddings. Would you stand?
we not only had teaching and ministry and sharing and worship, we had a little spoken word yesterday and, uh, that Natasha did, and that was beautiful. God used that in a wonderful way. I want to let you know about our Emerge, Experience Emerge podcast. We're in our fourth season, and there are so many tools on this podcast that you can utilize uh, on anxiety, depression, relationships, marriage, family. All of the discussions relate to faith and mental health. Often, people that come to Emerge, when they're in between sessions, we will ask them to listen to one of these before the next session. So that's a tool. We've wanted to bring tools to you at this Soul Care Weekend experience. So let me just again say a big welcome to kind of like a Soul Care Sunday today, and the opportunity to be here with you is a great blessing. The soul. You're not just the self. You're a soul. Look at the person next to you and say, you're not just the self, you're a soul. Go ahead. You're a soul made in the image of God. When Adam was created, God breathed life into him. But you are a soul, and today we're talking about the soul. And you might say, well, what is the soul, and how does it function, and, and uh, how do I tend to it and care for it and build it and develop it and grow it? Well, you especially know what your soul is or is not when you face a tragedy or a conflict. You hit a point of difficulty. I remember, and many of you here know Dr. Don Litchie, our vice president, he sends his greetings to you. Uh, I remember when I was new at Emerge five years ago, came out of my office, Dr. Don had two clients with him. He said, Dr. Crosby, let me introduce you to this couple. He said, they are grandparents, and they've allowed me to share with you what they've just walked through. Six months previous, they had taken their five-year-old grandson on a boat ride. Their daughter had allowed them to do that. And they're on the boat on the lake, and the little boy was playing in the back with his toys, and suddenly they turned around, and he was lying down in the bottom of the boat. The carbon monoxide and the wind had encircled them and they had not seen it and he had succumbed to it and he did not recover. Five years old. I heard that story in one minute and I'm looking at this couple. What do you say? What do you do? I mean, my heart broke. I, I, immediately you began to imagine how they must have felt the next, or, or when they had to call their daughter and tell her or when they woke up the next morning. Suddenly, when you hit a moment like that, you ask yourself, do I have within me to get through what is in front of me? All of a sudden, you know what your soul is or is not, how strong it may feel or may not feel. You're not just a self, you are a soul. So many challenges that people walk through in relationship breakups, family tensions, job losses. People come to emerge for so many different reasons and challenges. Ministers come to emerge. Men and women from all works of life, children and young people. We often ask the question, am I enough? Will I have what it takes? Will I be able to do what all is needed? So today I want to talk about the hole in your soul. W-H-O-L-E, the hole in your soul. 
Genesis 2, 7, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living what? Soul. You know, you picture the Lord creating Adam, and he's like a claymation laying on the ground. Inanimate, lifeless, but he's been made by God, and all of a sudden God breathes the breath of God on him, and he becomes a living soul, which I love because in the New Testament, do you remember when Jesus breathed on the disciples and said, receive the Holy Spirit? So be born physically, but also be born spiritually. You're not just a self, you're a soul. Dallas Willard uh, says, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. Not external circumstances, not your thoughts, not your intentions, not even your feelings, but your soul. The soul is that aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of a human being. Your soul for your life is mission control. It's mission control. It's the core of your being. You remember the movie Apollo 13? You remember when the Tom Hanks character, the astronaut, they're running into problems, and he calls down on the radio, and he says, Houston, we have a problem. We have a problem. Whenever we hit a crisis, we'll do that with our soul. It's as if we'll say, soul, we have a problem. Do we have what it takes to get through it? And thank God that we can support one another's souls. Thank God that we have his word. Thank God that we have prayer. Thank God that we have the opportunity to lean on him. Don't you look at challenges that people walk through who don't know Christ and wonder how they ever get through it. The name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run to it and they're safe. You know, someone asked, our, our Reader's Digest asked their readers the question, what's the most beautiful sound in the world? And one mom said, the sound of my son saying, I'm home. The sound of my son saying, I'm home. I have to believe that the, the father of the prodigal son, that that had to be the most beautiful sound, that I'm home, I'm back home after he had been away for so long. You know, St. Augustine, uh, who in many ways was maybe the original psychologist, Dr. Dave, uh, he pondered the Trinity and the insights that it teaches us about who we are and how God is and how he's made us. But Augustine said this, my soul is like a house. Lord, it's small for you to enter into. It's too small, but I pray that you would enlarge it. It's in ruins, but I need you to remake it. It contains much that you will not be pleased to see. This I know and do not hide. But who is to rid it of these things? He said, my soul, Lord, is your house. We think of little children who give their heart to the Lord. And we say what? Where does Jesus live? And what do they say? In my heart, in my heart. And we think that's so sweet and so cute. But do we really believe that? That he's inside you and me right now. No matter what we're going through, he said, I'll never leave you and never forsake you. Well, God, I've got joy right now. Well, I've got joy with you. God, I'm struggling right now. Well, I'm struggling with you. 
God, I'm hurting right now. Well, I'm hurting with you. That's the kind of Savior God sent to us. He, he did not come as a successful CEO. He came as a suffering servant so that he could identify with the deepest hurts in your life and mine. Not only can you touch God in the place of joy on the mountain, and my goodness, that survey showed that this church has a lot of joy, but not everyone reported that. So in other words, even in the midst of joy, we want to be attuned to people that may be struggling. You know, we've said often we have our faces here so much that we miss one another's faces and how we're feeling, how we're doing. And we pass someone, we say, how are you doing? All right. Oh, good. And we keep going instead of, no, how are you really doing? It seems like something's on your mind. How can I pray for you. Those become like the nerve endings in the life of the church that help us to care for one another. Well, when Pamela and I, we lived and pastored in Boston, and there's a house there called the Skinny House. Here's a picture of it. That's a literal house in Boston. It's nine feet wide, and it has living room, bedrooms, kitchen. Four people can stand side by side, shoulder to shoulder in that house. It's a skinny house. Augustine said, Lord, my soul is your house, but it's too small. I need you to grow it. I need you to enlarge it. And Lord, there are things within that house that you will not be pleased with. But who else can help me remove those things? But you, my soul is your house. You know, Pamela, my wife tells me, honey, sometimes you're in the house, but you're not really home. You know, your mind is back at work or it's somewhere else. You know, it's, it's maybe with some kind of football game coming up or something, you know. But sometimes you're, we, you know, the kids and I know you're home, but you don't know you're home yet. So being home, her life phrase is embrace the moment. You know, I was reading the other day, Romans 12, where Eugene Peterson said, Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. And I thought, Lord, forgive me, because often I want to embrace what I want you to do for me. Instead of looking at what have you done for me? What's here right now? And I believe if we'll make the most of what he's given us right now, then he'll do more. We'll see him open up more doors. To he who is faithful with little, he will make Lord a much. My heart, it's your house, Lord. You know, the, the internet is full, websites, social media are full of all kinds of programs on how to improve your house. You know, extreme makeovers and improvements and, you know, nice little things, even programs with shopping. You know, what blew my mind a couple of years ago is to watch my grandchildren looking at videos of children playing with toys. I'm like, whatever happened to playing with toys? Now we watch videos of other children playing with toys. Vicarious pleasure, you know. And, uh, but we watch videos of other people improving their houses. And somehow we feel like we're improving our houses. No, you're not. You're watching a video about somebody improving their house. It's vicarious. It's vicarious. So, but, but, you know, they'll say things like, okay, make your house your own sanctuary. Let it be truly you. Give it time to take shape. Be patient. Create a calm corner, a special corner 
maybe where you can have your devotions. Uh, spend time there. And then there's the hole in your soul, H-O-L-E. You know, Henry Nouwen said, God so much destined our desire to fill our deepest yearning for a home that God decided to build a home in us. Yet we try to find that intimate place in knowledge, competence, notoriety, success, friends, sensations, pleasure, dreams, or artificially induced states of consciousness. Thus, we become strangers to ourselves, people who haven't addressed but are never home, and hence can never be addressed by the true voice of love. You know, we say to our children, yes, Jesus lives in your heart, he lives in my heart, but then so often we look for life in other places. Scripture says, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What shall it profit a man? The passage I want to take a moment with today is Matthew 8, 18. It's a, it's a bit of a troubling passage. When Jesus saw the crowds around him, he gave orders to cross to the other side of the lake. Then a teacher of the law came to him and said, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Another disciple said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus told him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat, but Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Let me read that again. What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Look at your neighbor and ask, what kind of man is this? What kind of man? You know, when I read this, there's some things that really catch my attention. One, we're, we're left with this question, what kind of man is this? Sometimes the Lord, have you noticed, will leave us at times with more questions than answers. And then there are these awkward moments as I read this passage. You know, and, and it fills me with questions. One is, what kind of man would order you to go to the other side? Lord, I'm here. Everything is good. What kind of man would order you to go to the, the other side? Also, what kind of man would tell you that he has no place to lay his head? How about this? What kind of man would keep a son from his own father's funeral? Does that question bother you a little bit? What kind of man would put you on a ship heading straight into a storm? Do you see that in this? That bothers me. When I read it, I ask questions about it. And then what kind of man would sleep through your storm? All of these things are not the kind of Jesus that I was expecting. Someone has said, we, sometimes we have a preferred Jesus. A preferred Jesus. And we miss the one who really is. Well, you may be in your life facing a challenge, a hurt, a struggle. 
this congregation, with all that you've walked through in the past couple of years, that you have been in our prayers on our hearts so much. And uh, it's beautiful to see how God is working through you. But at times you wonder, maybe you come to an altar, someone prays with you, there's a need, then maybe you go to a pastoral counselor and they help and minister to you. And then at some point they say, you know, I think it'd be good for you to see a Christian counselor, professional counselor. How do you know when it's time for that? Here's a few indicators. You're constantly feeling overwhelmed. Your physical health is suffering. You're struggling to build or maintain relationships. It feels impossible to control your emotions, anger, rage, resentment, etc. Your academic work has digressed. You're turning to unhealthy coping mechanisms or attachments. You're dealing with a difficult trauma that doesn't want to leave. You no longer enjoy the things you used to, fatigue, apathy, social withdrawal, which you can often detect more in the life of a church than when you're not a part of a church. Sleep struggles, overwhelming grief or sadness, the feel of the need to grow and change but not knowing how, and using substances to cope. You know, the most popular article on our website at Emerge is 12 ways to work on your joy. Working on your joy, and the joy of the Lord is your strength, and clearly the joy of the Lord is your strength here at Grand Rapids First. But have you noticed in the room of our lives, the house of our lives, that sometimes there's a room that we don't want to go to? How many of you have moved from one place to another in the last five years? Physically, you made a move. That's, that's not an easy thing. It's quite a process. And have you noticed how there's often a room that the boxes are still in? And you tell the kids when people come to visit, don't let anybody in that room. Don't go in that room. Sometimes in our lives, in our, the house of our soul, there are places and we say, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. But often that's exactly the place the Holy Spirit wants to go. But I will tell you, the Holy Spirit is a gentleman. He will not force himself upon you. He will come in the fullness of time to work healing and grace and ministry to you just the way he desires. The founder of Emerge, one of the things he said, and he's gone to be with the Lord in 2014, until the pain of remaining the same hurts more than changing, people prefer to remain the same. Your soul is God's home. There's not only the hole in your soul, W-H-O-L-E, the whole H-O-L-E, this God-shaped vacuum, but then there's the role of your soul, your true home. Chuck Swindoll once said, know who you are, like who you are, and be who you are. Know who you are, like who you are, and be who you are. I like to add to that, know who you are in Christ, like who you are in Christ. Don't let Instagram make you think you need to be someone different. We need you. We don't a replication of somebody else. We need you, authentic you. Know who you are in Christ. Like who you are in Christ. Be who you are in Christ. There's freedom in that. Freedom in that. So in that passage we read, what kind of man would be more concerned about fear and faith than wind and waves? You know, I didn't even know 
when I put this together that Pastor Sam was in a series on this topic, but it fits here, Pastor Sam. Someone with emotional resilience. Someone with emotional resilience would be more concerned about fear and faith than wind and waves. So the state of their heart and character is more important than the state of their circumstances. Unless that which is within you is connected to he who is above you, you'll succumb to that which is around you. Our soul needs to be so connected to God, clinging like a branch to a vine. And I think one of the ways we do that practically, we say, God, I'm lost without you. I am empty without you. I am desperate for you. I am nothing without you. How about when you feel like resigning what you're doing? What's even better is to say, Lord, I resign myself to you. Amen. I resign, God. I give up on trying to make it happen myself. Sometimes we need a word from the Lord like, quit trying to make it happen. Let it happen. It's God who works within you to will and to do of his good pleasure. One soul care practice is being quiet and still in the presence of God. Yes, Pentecostals can sometimes be still. You know, the Holy Spirit can get us loud and rowdy, but sometimes he wants to whisper. Sometimes he wants to, sometimes the, the voice of the Lord resounds in the quiet places of the world, like a mountaintop or a walking quietly in the morning. Emotional resilience. Another soul care practice is this. One of the most popular questions in the Methodist church is, how is it with your soul? I was raised United Methodist before I became Pentecostal, Assembly of God, and and maybe that's a question you'd like to ask yourself today. How is it with your soul? You know that old hymn, it is well with my soul. When peace like a river attends my way, sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot you've taught me to say, it is well with my soul. But sometimes life is hard on our souls. Sometimes we are hard on our souls. Here's a tool that helps me. When your expectations are here and your reality is here, what you have in the middle is stress. When your expectation is here, follow me, and your reality is here, what you have in the middle is stress. The only way to reduce the stress is to either lower your expectations or change your reality. And life is a little bit of both of those, and you keep doing that until you get, guess where? To a place called contentment. Paul said, I've learned in whatever state I'm in, therein to be content. Sometimes the hardest person on you is you. Sometimes our minds and expectations wear our souls out. And you say, but, but what about faith? Come on, we're Pentecostal, Dr. Gross, but what about faith? Well, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Peace. When a storm hits your house, what kind of man would be more concerned about fear and faith than wind and waves? A man with a certain view of you. You see, soul keeping is vital, it's not optional. Guard your heart because out of it flow the issues of life. Soul keeping is vital. The goal of soul formation is not just wellness, it's wholeness. Becoming whole in Jesus. And what does soul care look like? You know, sometimes we hear people talk about self-care. You've all heard of self-care. 
And we believe there are a lot of great tools in self-care that Emerge uses and endorses. But don't you every now and then when you're a Christian, you're hearing people talk about self-care, you say, but didn't Jesus say I'm supposed to die to myself to live to Christ? Isn't that a big part of the call of Christ? Well, we like the term soul care better. Self-care is centered on self. Soul care is centered on God. Self-care, the focus is wellness. Soul care, the focus is wholeness. Self-care says, oh, uh, the, the brokenness is just human nature. But soul care says, no, it's related to the fall of man. And we understand that in Scripture. Self-care depends on you. Soul care depends on Christ who is at work within you. Self-care is about actualizing your potential. Soul care is about transformation through grace. Self-care is about caring for ourselves, but catch this. Soul care is about caring for yourself so that you can care for others. Give, and it shall be given, and then you give, and it shall be given, and then you give, and that's that cycle of generosity that when we obey God, his nature begins to fill us. Psalm 62, truly my soul finds rest in God, my salvation comes from him. In music, there are rest measures that, that come up, and you pause for a moment. It can be a beautiful part of the music. When we rest for a minute, do you notice what we do now in culture? One, I want to look like I'm doing something important. I'm really not bored and waiting for my wife at the mall. But, you know, and I'm dealing with all these many, many emails that I have and all, and, you know, and, it, and now we say my soul will find rest in you. I preached on this uh, one Sunday, Pastor Sam, in the altar call, I said, pull your phone out. The altar call is going to be, turn your telephone off. And people went, <gasps> I said, not vibrate, totally off for two full minutes. And people were like, how can I live without you? You know, <laughs> and, uh, and we turned it off. And I said, let's just for a minute, just detach a bit and say, Lord, my soul finds rest in you alone. And there was a peace in the room, and then I said, now you can turn them back on. They're like, oh, thank God. <laughs> it's important that we use devices, that devices don't use us. My soul's like a house, Lord. Small, your soul is God's home. It's the center of your true self, your identity. It's the target of God's love, and it's the focus of Satan's attacks. Know that. God wants to bless your soul. Satan wants to sift it and wear it out like wheat. He wants to roll over it. God wants to build it up. It's the heart of your life, the core of who God is making you to be. Well, when I said when your expectations are here and your reality is here, you have what in the middle? Stress. We identify with that. And that proved clearly in the testing here to be the most challenging daily issue in life was stress. How do I navigate it? Lowering your expectations, changing your reality. You say, but what about faith? What about when the Lord's told me to do something and everybody tells me I'm crazy? And they say, you need to drop that because you're putting pressure on all of us with this faith idea that you have. You say, well, if this is faith and this is reality, what's in the middle? I'm going to tell you, please hear this. It's not stress. It's hope. It's hope. 
Because if the Holy Spirit gives you faith about something and other people says it gives them stress, but he's put hope in you, don't let go of it. Because his faith, it's God, it's his spirit, it's his anointing. There are things in the ministry that we lead right now that in our hearts we see. But sometimes for other people, it's hard for them to see. But I'm obnoxious. I'm not going to let go of them. You know, it's like we've got to hold on to what God has put in our heart. Well, you remember that picture of the skinny house? If you zoom up closer to it, there's a plaque on it called the Spite House. Here's the story. The land that this was built on, there was a land in Boston that was owned by two brothers. During the Civil War, one of them went off to war and one of them stayed. The parents had passed away, so the brother that stayed said, I'm gonna build a nice big house, and he used 90% of the property for himself. And he left a little bit for his younger brother, and that was all. He said, my younger brother come back, is so small, he'll never build, but guess what he built? The Spite House. And that house blocked his brother's portico of the sunlight that came into his property, the spite house. It's amazing the things that can shrink our souls, the things that can reduce us, the things that can pull us down. Lord, my soul is your house, but it's too small. I want you to grow it. I want it to have more room for other people to love them and to bless them. Would you come and help my soul to be open to you.